Ladies and gentlemen, we are lucky to be sitting down today with the one and only Dennis Fonvi. He is a scout for the Boston Bruins. He has been through the NHL, the AHL, and part of many different teams. Now I get to pick his brain a little bit here about what's going on with the NHL and also ask him about scouting. So, Dennis, how's the day treating you? Uh, good so far. Good so far. Thanks for having me on. No, not a worries at all. Well, you know, we got to thank Jamie Anesty. This guy pounds the pavement every day finding great people to talk to. So he's putting in the work and helping everybody out, so I like it. Super. Super. So I want to ask you, obviously, with everybody who gets into hockey, whether it's scouting, whether it's coaching, playing, you name it, there's a reason why. And I'm wondering for you, what was the uh, the the match-striking thing for you that made you want to be a part of hockey and, you know, get into it? Well, I think when I first started out, uh, I was lucky enough uh, playing midget. Play, I think it was my first year midget that uh, actually a guy from Dartmouth, Steve Kroll, had some faith in me. He was still for Kitchener at the time. He got me He got me. I didn't have a great year. He got me drafted in the late rounds. Uh, I really went to bat for me. And uh, I eventually didn't make it my first year. And I, I made the team my second year uh, and then got traded to North Bay, uh, which, was, uh, which was a blessing for me. I went with the legendary Bert Campbellton, God rest his soul, who, you know, who loves maritime players and likes tough players. So, you know, I think that was a combination of both. So uh, I think for the most part, to go back to your question is uh, I was determined. I wanted it. Uh, I wasn't going to take no for an answer for the most part. And uh, I was going to keep knocking down doors until somebody let me in or, you know, they sent me home permanently. So I think that was the big thing. Well, I mean, you must knocked on enough doors, obviously, because you got through and you played for some great teams. Obviously, you're with the Edmonton Oilers, the Cape Breton Oilers, uh, you know, the Hamilton Bulldogs, Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, you've been around, my friend. And I'm wondering for you, each and every organization, everybody takes something from. And throughout your time in the AHL, NHL, OHL, you name it, I'm wondering, what was the biggest takeaway you had from one city specifically and, you know, that's kind of carried you on your way and that you've used almost as a mantra, I wouldn't say a crutch, but a mantra going through your career now? Well, I, I think the big thing was, you know, playing for as long as I did. I was very fortunate, uh, thank heavens. But uh, I always I always played with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to prove that I belonged. I wanted to prove that I was respected as a tough guy. That was the start in the American League, and then I went to the National League. And then if I got sent down, I was, you know, I'd have a little chip that I, you know, I should be back up there, or if not, then somebody else is going to want me somewhere else, you know. And in order to do that, I had to have a good year where I was at. So uh, I think I was grounded enough with that. Um, and, you know, I had a, my wife, wife, Kelly, she was with me early. So uh, I think she kept me grounded for the most part, you know, and, and, and you keep focus on the goals at hand, right? And I, I think I did that. I consistently did that, where I, where I was always trying to prove myself to prove that I deserved another shot or I, I was the toughest guy on my team where I was at or I was going to get an opportunity somewhere else doing what I was doing. No, definitely. Well, you know, especially being the toughest guy on the team, there's a lot of things that go into that, you know, the mental aspect. And I talked to Nick Kiprios, and he told me, you know, for him before a game, he was excited. He was amped up, getting ready for it. But he said he knew guys that were in that role that would either throw up or, you know, would be very nervous or, you know, very tepidous about the game in hand and, you know, very methodical about planning it out. And he was just excited to get it done. I'm wondering for you, being in those kind of shoes, were you one of the guys that were excited, or did you, you know, look at the lineup and say, "Crone, I got a, I know I got this guy, this guy, this guy, and it's going to be a long night." Uh, no, I, I was fortunate enough that my mentality was I was pretty excited because I always wanted to prove myself. You know, actually coming on the end of my career wasn't the easiest thing. It didn't bother me, but you know, you're getting older and, and slower, and the other guys are getting faster and bigger and stronger, so it's not a great combination. But 
for most of my career, you know, going into junior, I was ecstatic about it. I wanted to prove myself, and I always had that, like I said, that chip on my shoulder, and that uh, energy level was high. Same as going into pro for, for many years to start. I, I always, you know, I, I wanted to prove, I, you know, because I wasn't the biggest guy, right? I was barely six feet if I was that, and, and you know, um, where other guys are six two, six three, and, and, and pretty big, pretty big lads. So uh, I think that was the biggest thing. I, it didn't really bother me so much, you know. Like I knew it was probably going to happen at night, but I, I didn't let it ruin my day over it or, or my night before. No, that's good to hear. And like I said, with uh, other people, kind of did ruin their day and got them set up. So it's good to hear that you're amped up and ready to rock and roll. You know, you go through your career as a player. Um, what for you? I mean, guys think about things obviously as they're getting towards the tail end. What for you kind of set in motion, you know, guys like to be coaches or GMs, managers, whatever you want, and for you in scouting, what for you wanted to be the, the scout and find that next guy or bring guys along? What uh, what made that path happen? Well, coming on the end, I, I finished my last three years in the Pittsburgh organization. I, I thought there was going to be an opportunity. I can't lie to you. I, I really did. I, I thought there'd be an opportunity in Wilkes-Barre Wilkes or, or, you know, in, in, in coaching, maybe potentially work your way up, but that never happened. Uh, and uh, I was fortunate enough that I, when I tried out years ago, uh, coming out of junior in Calgary, the GM was our coach, a good friend of mine. Uh, he had cut me after a couple of weeks, sent me home, and I uh, went home, and I ended up getting on with the Edmonton Oilers and the Cape Breton Oilers. And uh, I, we always stayed in contact. Uh, coming on the end of my career, I, I had talked to him about some stuff. He got a job in Toronto uh, with Cliff Fletcher and Mike Penny, and they gave me an opportunity to get into the scout, which I really didn't know what it entailed, but it was a real... Uh, it was an unbelievable break for myself and my family. And so, I'm much appreciated for it. Well, you get the opportunity with Toronto, and we'll, we'll touch on that one first. Obviously, the Maple Leafs, you listen to Brian Burke or anybody else who talks about the Maple Leafs, and I know, you know, Leafs fans, and this is a Leafs-centric podcast, so I can say this with a Homer hat on. You know, we look at Toronto as kind of the center of the hockey universe, and other cities might beg to differ, but it is a big market, and it does draw a lot of attention. And that one year you are with Toronto – it was one of those hodgepodge years for the Maple Leafs, you know, not a lot of A-plus star talent, uh, some young guys coming in, some guys that had great years like a Grabowski or a Kuhleman. Um, but I'm wondering for you, you're you're there for scouting, you're there around the team and figuring out players and stuff like that. What was your takeaway, you know, walking into that organization, being a part of it, and just seeing the day-to-day, just uh, not only the media grind, but just everything. What was the takeaway for you in that, that year there? Well, it was a big learning year for me, obviously. Uh, you know, the, the organization was a little bit of a transition year. Um, but to, to get the opportunity, uh, you know, from Cliff Fletcher and now coach and then and Mike Penny to be my boss, who's a terrific boss and a terrific person, uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought I was going to continue, but, you know, things come in. They changed the GM, and uh, Brian Burke came in, and uh, things change. That's what happens in the game sometimes. Uh, I was fortunate enough I got on with Chicago, and uh, I continued to continue to go well, yeah, let's talk about the Chicago Blackhawks because obviously that's a pretty good time to be there. Obviously part of three cup runs, uh, three rings, a lot of great players come through that organization. I want to ask you, looking at the Chicago Blackhawks, and everybody looked at them as the model franchise for a while. Yes, they had to trade players after they won the cup just to stay around the cap, but they were able to keep finding players. And I'm wondering for you, you know, you're scouting, you're, you're getting your feet wet. It's your second year with the Blackhawks. You know, and things are going well. What is going into finding these players, and you know, who's telling you what, and what are you drawing from, like from everybody that's in that organization? 
Well, I was fortunate enough that the uh, Stan Bowman and Mark Bridgman gave me an opportunity to go in there uh, and hired me. So I went in and, uh, yeah, I worked with some really good people in a tremendous organization. Uh, we were fortunate enough. You kind of pinch yourself when you look at our, you know, look at our roster from head to toe, uh, you know, with head coach Joe Quinville at the helm. So it was, it was something special for six years. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, I, I think when it comes, the GM comes in and tells you exactly what you want, you know, through the head coach's advice and says, you know, this type of players we're, we're probably going to need going forward. You know, and you make your list, and then that's the way you do it. And that's not one person. That's a that's a that's a good staff that we had. You know, a bunch of guys coming in and, and voicing their opinion, and you make your list, and you move forward. Who's the best guys going? You know, up and down the line. So, uh, I think that's the big thing is that uh, you know you're around good people, good management, and a good staff. So you sit down around the table, obviously, and I've asked this question of scouts before. And uh, I've had the story of a guy beating the table for Ryan Miller and another guy for Corey Perry. Um, for you, has there ever been a guy that you've been so, you know, steadfast on that was your guy that you wanted picked and, you know, you're, you laid your case on the table but it didn't happen for you? Is there a guy like that or is there a guy that they did pick and they're like, holy smokes, this is the guy right here? Well, I will tell you this. If there was, uh, I probably wouldn't divulge that because that's not what I'm about. It's about our, our staff and, you know, as a whole and everybody does basically got to agree to do that. You know, I can bring up guys. I might get him, I might not. And the guy beside me and the guy to my right and left, they, they're bringing up their guys, and, and you got to, you know, make sure you, uh, you know, add up all the information and see who's best for your, you know, for your organization, for your lineup. So um, I, I think everybody has their guys that they, you know, that they continually watch in their area and in their region, and, and things happen. But for the most part, it's it's the GM, assistant GM, and, you know, uh, your scouting boss and, and the staff that are going to make enough to make those decisions. See, I like that answer because it obviously goes back to what the team and the family-like atmosphere would be. You know, it's not one person trying to drive their narrative by itself. So that is an awesome answer because, like I said, I've had people say, you know, this player, that player. And, you know, maybe when you're done, I guess, you can look back or you write a book and you can say, you know, this was this or this was my thought here or there. But, no, I, I definitely agree with that answer. But I want to ask, you know, a lot of people, when we do our, our fantasy drafts or fun things like that, you know, we think that we know what we're doing, you know, setting up our little draft boards and who we're going to pick here and there, especially when you do the, uh, the prospect players. I want to ask you, when you're getting ready for an actual NHL draft, how do you set yourself up? Do you have a board for yourself and, you know, players that you're watching and a list and, you know, what goes into it for you? Well, uh, good question, but I, I do a lot of the pro side. That's what I've done since I retired. Not that I can't, not that anybody else in the scouting can't do the amateur side. That's just my responsibilities on the pro side. But I, I've been in enough meetings on the amateur side where I, I know they have the list and they have to formulate a list throughout the year and who's the one from, from one right on down, uh, you know, and then they, they formulate a list and they formulate a team list and they put it all together so that they, they have that right in front of them when guys are getting selected. So, uh, it's a pretty interesting concept how it all goes down and all the information involved and the time and effort that's put into doing that. Uh, so, like I said, it's pretty interesting to see, but that's not really what I've done thus far in my Well, no, do it definitely. I know that you'd be probably able, privy to see it and just the setups and stuff like that. Um, you yeah, know. It's, it's pretty neat how, how they, you know, how they basically, you know, we have a lot of guys, uh, you know, giving their opinion on, on who should be where and what where. They might have a guy vaulted up the list. They might have a guy that's up the list that they don't really like. So it's interesting to see when everybody puts a list together, you know, where they're at. So when you're sitting down and obviously, you know, you're talking to everyone for your team now, the Boston Bruins, and, you know, it pains me to talk about them for what they've done to my Toronto Maple Leafs. But you look at that team 
and you say, you know, okay, this offseason we might lose X, Y, and Z. This is where we need to fill the hole. When does those thoughts for, for you guys start happening when you're looking at players that might leave the roster? And we don't need to talk about anybody specifically, but you may be losing a defenseman. You may be losing a center or whatever. When does that conversation start to say, hey, we need to start looking at players for X position and this position, and it may not just be via free agency or whatever. When do you start looking at that, and when would that question be poised? Well, I, I think, you know, Cam and Don and Dusty and John Ferguson, all, our whole group have done a good job of projecting. You know, like, like, well, if this happens, if this scenario happens, then we're, we're going to have to formulate a list of who's the next guy's coming in. And, you know, maybe we get to some free agents that can come in and fill that role. It might take a few months. We might have to play in Providence to get up. There's all different scenarios where, you know, we know we might have to fill a spot or, you know, we might get the guy signed and have to trade somebody else. So it's like a puzzle, really, at the end of the day. But I think they do a good job of uh, uh, projecting ahead and, and, and getting prepared for what may happen. You know, option B, C, D, or E, you know, and that happens continually. So it's probably just a fluid situation where you know, they're saying that this position or that position, you know, keep an eye on this, keep tabs on this. This is a guy we like. This is a guy you should look at more. And you're bringing back the information. Um, when the determination comes that you're going to go after a player or a player is, you know, on that list and you know you're going to go get him, um, you know, is it something that comes from that you know about or is it just, you know, the GM or whoever snaps into it and they take the word of everybody who's put the effort in and just jump on it? Well, I think it's anything. It's collectively, right? Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Donnie might come in and say, you know, this guy he might be available, who knows, or, or this guy, or, or, you know, we might have to do this, who knows, with our, with our cap situation. But like you said, fluid is the word. There's just always ongoing talks and things happening that, uh, you know, that we're, you know, privy to. And, uh, you know, we have to, you know, formulate lists and formulate players and try to find somebody that might fit the mold to be a, you know, be a Boston Bowman. So, that's kind of the, that's kind of what we do on a daily basis. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question. You know, every Toronto Maple Leaf fan mm-hmm. and Boston Bruin fan, for that matter, is wondering about Big Z and if he's coming back. And, I, and I'm not going to ask you to lend your hand either way. I'm just wondering, in your opinion, does he still have enough gas in the tank? I would say yes, and I would say he's a a guy that I don't like shutting down Austin Matthews, but. Um, maybe I'm not seeing what other people are seeing, and maybe I'm only seeing what he's done to my team. But I'm wondering if you think Zidane Chara is still the defenseman for the Boston Bruins that he could be. Oh, I, I think so. I played with Z when I was in Ottawa for a short time. A terrific person, terrific, uh, terrific leader that we had, and uh, he's exemplified that his whole career, right? So there's no reason to think not. Yeah, as he, you know, he's getting up there in age, there's no doubt. But can he still come in and, and, and defend and, and kill penalties and, and and be a factor and be the leader he always? Absolutely, there's no doubt in my mind. Now, obviously, with the cap being flat, it's it's kind of made it difficult for a lot of teams. And, you know, we watched Tory Krug leave the Boston Bruins and, you know, basically trying to fill holes. And, you know, Boston's added some good players. But I'm wondering for you, you sit there and you look at the team and you're, you know, you're being asked to find guys to fill holes and to replace guys. Is there anyone out there that you think, you know, comparably could replace a Tory Krug? I know Charlie McAvoy's on the defense and he's coming along, obviously a great young defenseman. But I'm wondering for... What Krug is going to leave a hole with? Is there anybody that's viable for that spot on either on the team or that may be on the radar? Well, I, I think you know, obviously, a great name and Charlie McAvoy. Uh, Matt Griffith is going to have to pick up that slot. You know, I think we think he can do that. Are we saying he's Tory Krug? No, because there's not too many Tory Krugs out there. Let's be honest. He's uh, 
he he pushes the pace and he runs a great uh, power play and we've proven that for years. So, um, but you know that's what happens in a cap situation sometimes, right? Yeah. You know, not to say that you know hey, he'd be a tremendous fit for us and we wish you still had him. I think everybody says that, but sometimes you got to make you know I guess you know business decisions or sorry whatever it is, and uh, he'll be sorely missed. There's no doubt. He was a terrific leader, a terrific player for us. No, he 100% was, and I can definitely attest to quarterbacking the power play, and trust me, the nightmares are still there. Um, another player for you guys that, that a lot of people have a lot of questions around, and maybe you can shore up some of this just being around the team and knowing the guy, uh, is Tuka Rask. Um, you know, obviously a great starting goaltender for the Boston Bruins. Um, seems to have a great working relationship with Yaro Halak. Um, you know, great tandem and kind of set the mold for what a lot of teams are doing now with their goaltenders. You look at Montreal, uh, Toronto now trying to do with Jack Campbell and Anderson, um, you know, that tandem situation. But I'm wondering, you know, there was a lot of whatever out of the media and, and speculation about Tuka Rask last year. And I'm just wondering, you know, is Tuka coming in focused and ready to go for the Boston Bruins? Um, is there any question marks that the team has or anybody has, or is it all just, you know, basically a whole bunch of hoopla for nothing? Um, I suspect he'd be probably more focused than ever. You know, Tuka Rask is a, you know, top-end goalie. We all know that. And, uh, you know, he's been the backbone of what we're trying to do, you know, in defense. And, uh, so uh, I, I, I don't doubt he's going to come in and then have a wonderful year. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he, you know, as Tuka Rask goes, and obviously Halak will play a few more games. So as they go, we'll probably go, uh, I think, at the end of the day, right, in terms of scoping. Well, I want to ask you, obviously, um, this year it won't be the Atlantic Division, so we might not see you guys at all unless we meet you in the playoffs. But I want to ask you, just if we take the Atlantic Division as it usually is and look at the teams and, and who've made moves and done things, a lot of people are very excited about the Montreal Canadiens. Everybody thinks Toronto got slower but better maybe for the playoffs. I'm wondering for you, where do you rank the teams in in the Canadian division? You know, with Boston, you know, losing Tory Krug, Zidane Char is not there yet, but then Montreal coming on strong. Um, in eyes of people, Toronto taking a step back. Um, Ottawa's making noise, of course. Buffalo's in there um, with Taylor Hall. I'm wondering for you, where do you rank these guys? And obviously you got Tampa, but... You know, Tampa's just Tampa. <laughs> they don't have a cap, right, right. apparently. Right, right. Well, uh, you know, I, I think Montreal made some, you know, pretty good improvements, right? They got bigger, and uh, obviously they got the, you know, they got the goaltender back there in Kerry Price. So uh, I think Bruce has done a good job. Um, I think everybody, you know, sits around a table and makes their own decisions for the benefit of the club. And I think, you know, they all have reasons for why they do it. And, and time will tell when the puck drops. Of, you know, you know who's who's improved, who's marginally improved, whatever it is. So. Uh, but I, 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 you know, and, and I like where we're at. I think we're, you know, up front, we're very, very strong. We're a little younger on defense, but we'll see. And our goaltender is, goaltending is as strong as ever. So I'll put us up against anybody anytime. Well, if you listen to Brian Burke, he was recently on the Steve Dangle show. And obviously he put uh, Boston Bruins and Tampa and Washington down on the on the line of teams to compare yourself to right now. So you look at your team and you compare it to them. And he said, there's not a bunch of teams that can beat them. Uh, can they come close? Maybe, but they won't be able to beat them. So it's a tip of the cap to what you guys have built there in Boston. And now with the NHL looking to be coming back on the 13th of January, everything's starting to possibly fall into place, hopefully by the end of the week. Um, for you, I'm wondering, you look at everything that's going to shake down and how this might work and might go. Um, how is scouting and you know getting to see guys and you know traveling around and doing that bit of things going to be for you this year? 
Uh, it's going to be completely different. We don't know, obviously, where some teams may even play. Um, looking at uh, the LA Kings, the San Jose Sharks, you know, they might not be able to play in their home barns. Um, wondering for you, what is what is it going to look like, and how are you preparing yourself, I guess, to travel around in these contentious kind of times? Well, good question. Uh, you probably know as much as I do because it's, it's nothing's really been out yet. Uh, you know, until they decide that they're going to start on a certain date, and then we start planning ahead. And uh, you know, if we're allowed in the ranks of scouts and social distance a whole bit, so so I really don't have much information on that part. Time will tell. Fingers crossed, we are uh, because it's nothing like going going to watch uh, you know hockey games and then uh, the National Hockey League. So uh, so we'll see what happens. See what happens. I really don't have any information on that part. No, no problem. Well, I'll ask a follow-up question to that then. You know, is it better for you, you can watch a tape and you can watch a guy on tape, but do you think it's better watching the guy live and being able to, to get the whole entire feel, the whole entire picture, or is it better to be able to freeze frame, you know, go back, go back and look, or do both have their advantages? Well, I, I, think, the, I think the key thing is to watch them live. You know, you, you get a better feel for it. And then on video, it, actually, it helps. There's no doubt about that, you know, to help and then to to reaffirm what you've seen or, or, or to show you a couple of things that maybe you weren't overly happy with. But I think to be there in person to watch the players keep, and you got to watch him two and three and four times, there's no doubt, you know, if you want to really get it just to what this player's all about and where he's trending. No, definitely. Well, as Ken Reed say, you know, you're a good old Nova Scotia boy, and another good old Nova Scotia boy who had a good run uh, was Rick Bonus, And obviously there's lots of blue nosers in the NHL with, you know, Mack and Crosby and Marchand and Killorn. You know, I'm wondering for you, what is the um, the trajectory for yourself? What are you looking for, you know, right now being a scout? And maybe you don't have to say anything about this, tip your cap either way. But um, is are you looking to climb to, you know, coach, GM, or uh, is your hat for, for scouting what your passion's at? Well, I'm, I, I think it'd be crazier line to say I will not look and always move ahead and do more and, you know, be a big part, bigger part of the puzzle. But uh, I'm happy scouting. I like who I work with. You have an unbelievable staff and an unbelievable team and, and, and uh, great bosses. So I'm happy, but fingers crossed they like what I do and how I do it and then see what happens from there, you know, so. Uh, but you always have to have aspirations, and I certainly have them. There's no doubt to continue to, to forge ahead and move on up somehow. No, definitely. Well, hopefully with the Boston Bruins, I mean, I hope it's not against the Maple Leafs you knock us out again, but I hope you guys do <laughs> forge your way to another Stanley Cup. I, I would love Bergeron and Marchand as much as we, we bemoan them here in Toronto about what they do to us. I mean, they're definitely great players, and they deserve great things, and who wouldn't want to see Z with another ring? before he rides off or climbs a mountain or whatever he wants to do. Um, the guy's a freak of nature. But, you know, I look at the the NHL landscape this season that's going to come, whatever it's going to be, and we don't know a start date. But one thing that seems to be set in stone, and I want to ask you this, you know, as a Maritime boy, they're, they're looking at a Canadian division, and growing up, didn't matter if you were from the East Coast, the West Coast, you know, the Central, whatever, your team was your team, and you always said it was the best team in Canada. And this year, we might actually have the opportunity to see these teams play each other and rank themselves one through seven as the best teams in Canada. And I'm wondering for you, does that get the juices flowing a little bit and get you a little excited? Well, it certainly brings back when I was a kid. My, you know, we get on Saturday night and hockey night in Canada. I wanted to get the early game and then the late game out of Edmonton or Calgary or Vancouver. So. Uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and those are my you know those are my teams, the Canadian teams, obviously, right? So uh, that'll that'll be neat, no doubt. Uh, it'll be it'll be neat for Canada to, to continually watch their teams, 
and watch them against each other. So pretty neat concept, uh, you know, uh, under, under under some strange times. No, it definitely will be under some strange times. And one last thing that I want to ask you here, you look at the season coming up, It you know, no matter what you shave it, if we have a season, it's going to be a shortened one. Um, I want to ask this. You watch a lot of players now. You've been a part of a bunch of teams yourself. Um, wondering, do you think that a shortened season benefits teams with more younger and youthful players, or is it the sage veterans who know how to take care of themselves and you know have been through kind of the grinder and understand this is what I need to do to get myself prepared for this kind of mental battle? Do you think it's the youthful teams or the aged, experienced ones like the Bruins up front? Um, that'll take advantage of this season. Oh, good, good, good question. You know, obviously, well, if that's what it is, and just you know, if it is a short season like we think, then you're going to have to real strong training camp and get up to speed like quickly. So when the puck drops on opening night, then you're ready to go because you can't fall behind the eight ball too quickly here. You'll be out. You know, so I think that's the big thing. But you know, uh, we got tremendous veterans and tremendous uh, you know leadership group that uh, I think will be ready no matter what and. Uh, you know, I'll put my money on Bergeron, Marchant, Pasternak, you know, uh, Charlie McAvoy, Big Z, the whole bit, no doubt, and Tuka Well, I'm hoping that the Toronto Maple Leafs can make their way through the Canadian division and end up facing the Boston Bruins in some sort of conference final. I don't know how they make it work. Hopefully everything's back to somewhat normal then. I'd like to have you back on at that point, and maybe we can exchange a few chirps and have some fun with it. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Great, great chat. Not a worries, my friend. You have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Dennis Bonvi, pro scout for the Boston Bruins. That wraps it for today because this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk.